Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Good day, everyone, and welcome to... Oh, I lost it immediately. No, no, do. It's good. Good day. Good, good day. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Most, most Foul. Ah, those are words I've never attempted in an accent before. <laughs> I like it. Okay, try Irish. Uh, welcome, everyone. It's time to have another episode of Most Foul as we're going to discuss uh, a really interesting case from America. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I just can't believe I never knew you could do this. And now, wherever we go together, if that ever happens again that we do things together, I'm going to show you off like a prize pony. <laughs> Listeners, I've just disclosed my long-held secret that I practice doing accents poorly in my bedroom. <laughs> You're so good at it, though. It's not poorly. Okay, do like a just a regular Australian thing. Because we have listeners in Australia, so DM us and let us know what you think, if this is total shit or if Andrew like should quit his day job and start, you know, I don't know. But DM us nicely. <laughs> <laughs> about this uh i don't need death threats about an accent <laughs> no i mean having heard it they can't be anything but nice and full disclosure traditionally this would involve alcohol <laughs> that is not occurring currently well there's something like from australia when you're talking and you kind of talk with like the back of your tongue instead of like the tip of your tongue in it it's kind of like i have to Read just like how my mouth is, but then I, I can sort of do it. <laughs> like Nicole Kidman. <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing. Wow. I'm and so <laughs> impressed. I love it. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Imagine if you had, like, if you were like an accent dialect coach or someone, like, nobody knew you had that skill and just suddenly you had a completely different accent, but in like regular life at the office. <laughs> but that's what you just did to me. Like, we're regular life at our virtual office about to do our podcast and you just turned into another person. Oh, man. It happened to me once in the office uh, jobs ago uh -huh. where I was calling this, like, radio station to see about placing advertisements for an event yeah and um the woman had like hardcore southern accent uh-huh and i slip into mine pretty easily if i'm especially talking to family or whatever yeah and so i'm on the phone like at a work call and it is like she is her accent is so hard and i'm an accent mimic anyway and so i was like sliding deep into country <laughs> Wow. Like, oh, yeah, it's so nice to hear. Like, I can't believe we're, yeah, this conversation. We're going to have to, like, do this thing. And, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to see about placing an ad because we think your audience will be really good. And so, like, across the computers, I see Caroline, friend of the pod, just lean around the computer staring at me. And then, because we shared an office, and then outside of the office door, like a coworker's head like leans into the doorway and then eventually my boss <laughs> leans into the doorway oh my god how funny oh my gosh yeah i can see that i mean i 
feel like now I so I left Missouri when I was 15 and I never had a really strong one anyway because my mom is not from Missouri but mm-hmm. I feel like now to go back there it feels like I'm putting on a fake accent but I have a recording of my voice when I was little my dad worked for radio and you know the back to school spots that they used to do back in the day of like um, you know, drive safely, the kids are out or whatever. Uh-huh. And so he came to my class and recorded all of my classmates. And so we would be like, when I grow up, I want to be a whatever. And so I have this tape of me being like, when I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. And <laughs> I played it for the kids and they were just horrified. They didn't even, they were like, what's happening here? Don't know. Their reality was shattered. I'm surprised you didn't get a Rhode Island, uh, there's a hurricane out in, in the harbor, and we're going to get some uh, Rhode Island chowder. Now, you're doing a Murder, She Wrote Maine accent right now. Ah, <laughs> oh, Maine. You're doing Maine like from a... from the 1950s. <laughs> what was the sheriff's name? Sheriff Tupper. You're doing Sheriff Tupper right there. <laughs> I like it. Uh, wow. What a cool... I mean, it would, it would be better to be able to just speak different languages as opposed to just different accents, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, both are cool. <laughs> I'm jealous. I can barely do my own voice most days. The little phrases I learned for traveling when I was backpacking around Europe, mm-hmm. I was, like, trying to say them how they would sound in the languages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So France was like, je suis désolé, je ne parle pas français, parlez-vous anglais? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it got progressively harder where Germany was like, Entschuldigung, ich spreche kein Deutsch, sprechen Sie English? <laughs> <laughs> and then it went totally unhinged with Czech. <laughs> where it's like, Nimlovim Czeski, Mluvis Anglitski. I can't believe you still remember all of this, my God. It is seared into my brain the amount of times I practice saying, I'm sorry, I don't speak your language. Can you speak English? (laughs) (laughs) I was so nervous to say it to people. (laughs) I mean, you really like are an overachiever. I was just like, I'm just going to learn, I'm sorry, English with a question and inflection. So like, lo siento, (laughs) ingles. Why bother with all those pesky like filler words just cut right to the chase (laughs) this woman is embarrassed of being american (laughs) i'm sorry english (laughs) (laughs) people understood what i meant i said a lot of lo siento lo siento for everything also my kids like being wild lo siento lo siento left and right oh i i wonder if i could do that well obviously lo siento is i'm sorry Oh, yeah, that's so, so, I was trying to think if I could do it from memory, but that's, like, so basic of, like, no hablas español. Yeah. Hablas inglés. Or no hablo. Mm-hmm. Mi español es muy mal. Uh, olvido muchos porque time erased most of the Spanish from my brain. <laughs> Tiempo. <laughs> wow, that's still pretty good. I'm going to blame it on you being a lot younger than me. <laughs> yeah, necesito hablar contigo en español, por favor. Wow, that's good. I've always thought that your Spanish accent was good whenever we do a story that requires like a name <laughs> in in Spanish. I still remember a few like Mormon things that are locked into my brain. 
in Spanish. In, why in Spanish? It was just a thing I was working on. <laughs> like, Nosotros creemos en Dios el eterno Padre, en su Hijo Jesucristo, en el Espíritu Santo. Nosotros creemos que los hombres serán castigados por sus propios pecados, no por la transgresión de Adán. <laughs> Man. And then There's I sing this... my Shakira in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I mean, if you don't know that, do you even know Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> Estoy aquí. Queriéndote, ahogando, mientras fotos y cuadernos, entre cosas y recuerdos que no puedo comprender. You're ready to move to Spain. Let's go. Except the one bus driver I had in uh, Barcelona only spoke Catalan. Well, yeah, that happens. I was like, granted, I'm in your neighborhood, but I am in the country of Spain. Yes. So I was really hoping this little bit of Spanish could help me. <laughs> But then just start, like, mashing up your French and your Spanish, and that's kind of Catalan. My non-existent French. Bonjour. <laughs> wow, I feel like this is just, this is one of those episodes that's, like, we're just planting our flag of surprising things. I wish I had another surprise. I had an icebreaker in a work meeting this week, mm-hmm. and they were like, what's a fun fact about you? And I was like, literally nothing. <laughs> they're like calling people and i was like i have nothing to share (laughs) i mean those are i mean i do them myself because sometimes you just have to but it's they're so bad because you spend the whole time instead of listening to the other people you're like racking your brain for something original to say about yourself and you can make it easier like favorite cookie Mm -hmm. favorite ice cream flavor like narrow it down in a way but like what's interesting about you yeah and it's like oh now oh now i'm triggered because i'm thinking about my childhood and it was painful and spiral down 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 you could just be like do some kind of like weird you know awkward thing that's gonna change the whole tenor of the meeting like fun fact i'm completely dead inside and you wouldn't ever guess it (laughs) Well, my go-to awkward fun fact is I've played the piano at 32 funerals. (laughs) Is that true? Yes. (laughs) But I was like, well, that feels weird. Yeah, but then you become that guy, which is kind of good. (laughs) So then I went to my, I pulled up my dating app to see, like, what do I say on here? (laughs) What do you say? Well, I picked one. It, it's Hinge, and so it has, like, prompts. And so mm-hmm. it, it was sort of like, what's a weird thing? What, something, whatever. And so I was just like, I was a resident advisor in college, and I had to sign into a contract that I wouldn't talk about ghosts. What? Oh. <laughs> that was yes. my fun fact. Because my college, the number one reason people listed for transferring was that it was haunted. <laughs> No. So the RAs weren't allowed to talk about ghosts to the residents. Shut up. Oh, my God. It was literally in the contract. You're not allowed to talk to them about (laughs) ghosts. I swear to God, if I didn't know you and know that you're super genuine, like, I would say 50% of your stories I wouldn't believe, Andrew. (laughs) I'm glad you trust me. I have really interesting stories. (laughs) And it's so weird that, like, I don't notice that maybe it's weird that so many bizarre things have happened in my lifespan. 
I mean, for a farm boy from Mississippi, you do have a lot of interesting, colorful stories. And at such a, like, spring chicken age, like, you haven't lived much life. You're just so young. And they're all true, listener. If I was going to lie, it would be a big one. (laughs) (laughs) I I got all of my lying out by pretending to be straight for (laughs) 24 years. Yeah, that would do it, I guess. Wow. I guess the pretending really started at puberty-ish, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, what was it like just throwing off, throwing off the shackles? Like, did you feel just totally lighter in every possible way? It was a wave, very stressful, very difficult. And then every person I told was like easier and lighter moving forward. Yeah. Thank God for drugs and alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who knows when I would have come out without drunkenly calling my sister, my brother and my best friend at like four in the morning. I mean, social lubricant. That's what it's there for. In moderation. That was a really terrible moment to wake up though <laughs> post alcohol and be like what did i the do the next morning was like oh so then i had to remake those phone calls yeah but like be like so we chatted and i do remember it <laughs> <laughs> the inner essence of you though knew that you were ready you just needed a little like shove off the cliff yeah <laughs> Wow. Thank God that's over. But then I get the jaded age now of like, ugh, so I have to come out to people at every job I have for the rest of my damn life. (laughs) I know. That's got to be so weird. I mean, I think about it with my own kids and like I want to create an environment where they never have to come out to us. It's just a conversation that we're constantly having and they're seeing it on TV and with our friends and it's not a thing. But I mean, we still live in a world where it's a minority relationship. Um, what am I trying to say, Andrew? I don't know. It's the minority <laughs> sexual orientation. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. In the world. Well, our job together with like <laughs> 27 people, I was one of two. Yes. That's minority. Yes. Okay. And multiple people on our team asked me if I had a wife or girlfriend when I started. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's still, so being straight is still the default. It's still the assumption unless you either come out or you present in a way that people assume you are not straight. And I never know how I present because I code switch pretty efficiently. Mm. Like, talking to you, I'm, like, pretty loose and pretty free. But even if I'm on a a call with... Oh, my God, I was about to say... (laughs) I don't know how you would react to what I was about to say. Well, I don't know how you're feeling about me saying minorities, (laughs) minority relationship status. Like, what the fuck even is that? I was about to say (laughs) if I was on the phone with a bunch of queers. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that's how we refer to ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, but why would you I? Can't. No, I get that it, there's stuff that I can't say, and I'm cool with that. But yeah, like if I'm talking with like my gay friends, it's like way gayer, like mm. tone of voice, uh, the phrases I'll use, yeah. vocabulary. Yeah. So like 
you're closer to the real me, but like that me versus work me. So I truly have no idea how I present at work. Yeah. I'm thinking back if I had any guess, but I I don't know. I feel like I knew right away, but I don't know. I don't remember why. The other gay person was the one who asked if I had a wife, by the way. (laughs) Really? Uh Uh-huh. That surprises me, and I don't know why, but it does. And there are some other folks that I'll name off pod. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Well, I don't know. I just hope everybody doesn't think I'm a homophobe now, but my brain is still fuzzy. The elephant in the room, we've been off now for I don't even know how many weeks. Three weeks? Two weeks? Yeah, well, even longer when you think we pre-recorded ahead of time. Yeah. So, like, you and I have been off of podcasting for quite a while. Yeah. So, surgery, I had it, and I'm still a little fuzzy. So, not homophobic, just not fully in control of my vocabulary again. <laughs> so, yeah, we're we're back. We're, I'm at, like, 40%, 30%, 40 somewhere in there. Like, I sound normal. I think I am starting to look normal, which my daughter tells me every day is, like, if I've achieved something great. Like, if I didn't know, I wouldn't know you had surgery. You look normal. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we're doing we're doing things a little bit differently because I'm still not at full steam. Yeah, we're back and we're bite-sized. Yeah, so I like that. It's almost like you're that's a marketer or something. That's why I get something. the medium bucks. <laughs> Bite size most foul. So yeah, we're we're easing back into it, but we didn't want to keep leaving you all hanging. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all very happy that Kirsten is even back to forty percent, and mm-hmm. we're gonna chug along to a hundred. Yay! <laughs> but this we're gonna—it's shorter, as you can see from the runtime already—and <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna sort of set the scene, give some context for our next killer. Because this is a big one. So it really, I think it deserves its proper explanation and story. So should I jump into some scene setting? I think so. Yeah, I can't wait to get started on this one. I'm going to be talking about New York City in the 1970s. Mm. Writing for the History of New York City blog, very helpful blog in my research, (laughs) Kendra Dodd poetically wrote, quote, New Yorkers should have sensed that something terrible was brewing in the summer of 1976. It was as if the stars had aligned and the universe was plotting against the city. Everything seemed to point to disaster. The top song on the Billboard Hot 100 was Kiss and Say Goodbye by the Manhattans. The highest grossing movie at the box office was The Omen. Even the charts were telling the city to beware. End Uh, quote. Creepy. Right off the bat, New York City of the 70s was very different from today. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's like squarely in their 30s, I didn't realize how insanely dangerous and wild every American major city was in the (laughs) 70s. I was thinking about our Zodiac episode where I set the scene of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I was like, so... And I just walk around that city, like, willy-nilly today, but, like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even New York, I walked around fairly willy-nilly as (laughs) whenever I visit. 
Yeah. Uh, granted, I'm I'm a giant human man, so there's a lot of privilege there too. Yeah. So the Hard Hat Riot, if you're familiar, took place on May 8th of 1970. So that's sort of starting the decade. It was supposed to be a day of remembrance and mourning for the students who were gunned down and killed at Kent State University mm. uh, during their anti-Vietnam War demonstration. And so as a show of solidarity, high school and college kids from around New York organized a peaceful demonstration on Wall Street. And in response, hundreds of construction workers wearing hard hats converged on the scene, shoving past police, chasing and attacking protesters. What? I've never heard of this. People fucking loved going to Vietnam. (laughs) That is crazy. Wow. I'll never understand. That, That is unbelievable. But it's not all bad. The next month, June 28, 1970, the first gay pride parade took place in U.S. history. Wow. And it marked the anniversary of the infamous police raid and subsequent riots that occurred one year earlier at the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar located on Christopher Street in Greenwich Village. Mm. Have you ever been to New York Pride? No. I mean, I've been to the Stonewall Inn, but I've never been to New York Pride. It's so... I mean, I was only there accidentally. I just happened to be there at the time and like, wow, mind-blowing. Put that on your bucket list. I was at DC Pride accidentally. <laughs> I mean, Pride but I was like in at general the parade is accidentally. Yeah, I was at the parade accidentally too. I mean, Pride <laughs> across the board, I feel like Pride is so joyful and I'm not a a member of the community unless I mean, hopefully one of my kids is gay, but <laughs> As of now, I'm I'm just an ally, but Pride is just so joyous, like, across the board. But in New York, it's, like, really something special. Quick tangent. I was sitting at, like, DuPont Circle waiting mm-hmm. for the bus to take me to Georgetown. <laughs> and I saw, like, people with rainbow flags. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I saw more people. <laughs> and then I saw more people. I was like, this city is so open. <laughs> That's basically, Andrew, we're like the same (laughs) fucking person because that's exactly how it was for me. It was like one, two, then people marching. And I'm like, wait, something's happening here. (laughs) So I asked somebody, I was like, hey, do you know if the bus is coming? I've been waiting for a really long time. And they're like, no, the buses are canceled. It's pride. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so freaky. So my first universe talking to you, coming to sprinkle pixie dust on you. San Francisco Pride is fun, but it's because it's not a million degrees outside. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, New York Pride, when did it say it was? I don't remember it being bad. Like June? Mm -hmm. Pride in June in New York. Okay, sorry. Tangent all over the place. Just cut all of that. (laughs) Well, no, it's a good juxtaposition of, uh, you'll see as I keep going, like, five years later, New York was in the throes of one of the worst financial crises in its history and faced imminent bankruptcy. So when asked for help from the federal government, then President Gerald Ford refused to help the city. And he was misquoted, but like historically misquoted as telling the city to drop dead. What? And even though he eventually did sign legislation providing federal loans to New York, historians speculate that his initial refusal to help was his undoing and cost him his reelection. I mean, I should hope so. What was the reason? 
Uh, fuck them. <laughs> wow. You know. Okay, then. As government is wont to do. <laughs> so, it like, this is pretty bleak, but it was like an ungovernor- ungovernable metropolis that was heading into anarchy. Like, truly one of the bleakest, most crime-ridden, most uncertain times in New York City. It was economic, criminal, and cultural shifts. It, they were mm-hmm. practically bankrupt, losing money like crazy. Trains were covered in graffiti inside and out. Women were warned to remove jewelry while walking on the streets. On December 29th, 1975, a bomb exploded four days after Christmas at the airport. 11 people died and 75 people were wounded. Oh my god. No arrests were ever made and no one has ever claimed responsibility for that bombing. What? Mm Mm-hmm. And this could be due at least in some part by the fact that the city was greatly decreasing its police force. Now, we have complicated feelings about policing Mm -hmm. in general and police practices, but that's just sort of the reality that sometimes police do find criminals. Yes. (laughs) Um, But to face the economic stagnation and the industrial decline, New York began laying off city workers, including police and firefighters, cutting municipal services like sanitation and after-school programs. Unemployment went over 10%. Almost a million residents fled for the suburbs in the proverbial white flight. Yeah. And I'm sure it barely touched the top rich, Mm -hmm. but it was a deeply dangerous and dark time in the city. Mm -hmm. In just five years, so from 1969 to 1974, they lost over 500,000 manufacturing jobs. Holy shit. In the same time frame, murders went from 681 to 1,690 a year. Oh, my God. That's almost triple. Mm Mm-hmm. In the summer of 1975, tourists were greeted with an ominous brochure at the airport that literally said, quote, Welcome to Fear City, a survival guide for visitors of the city of New York. What? Yes. No. Uh-huh. It featured nine survival tips for navigating the city, including not taking the subway and not walking in any part of the city after 6 p.m. What the fuck? Grim as fuck. <laughs> I'm literally mouth agape. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also a time for art and culture an exploration. On April 26, 1977, Studio 54 opened its doors. Mm-hmm. Considered the most glamorous disco of its day. The notorious guests, Truman Capote, Andy Warhol, uh, Bianca Jagger, Liza Minnelli. By 1979, so again, this is the juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. So by 1979, Over 250 felonies were committed every single week on the transportation system, making it the most dangerous in the world and earning the nickname the Muggers Express. Oh, my God. It was a mix of art and danger, thrill, terror. Artists and musicians and poets could actually afford to live in the city because Uh everybody fled. Right. Um, And, of course... Because of the white flight, it then brought in people from all over the world. Right. Um, musician B.B. Well 
who at 18 moved to New York to become a model, explained, quote, Back then, everybody wanted to be fabulous. Everybody wanted to be someone. We all gathered together with the same dream, end quote. So it's like a grim dystopian nightmare. And it led the room for like an art and culture explosion. So interesting. I had no idea. I mean, of course, you always hear about how different it used to be. And, you know, it got cleaned up in the 80s and 90s. But I had no idea it was that bad. Yeah, it was around this time in the fabled back room at the restaurant nightclub Max's Kansas City that musician B.B. Well would eventually meet the rock stars that she'd famously serve as a muse, including Mick Jagger, David Bowie, and Steven Tyler. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, but she is Liv Tyler's mom. Yeah. So the arts and the culture, cough, cough, gay people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was on the rise. It was growing. And then AIDS mm-hmm. a few years later wiped it out i mean destroyed so much ron and nancy reagan should be rotting in hell if hell is such a place i mean we can only hope but that's beside the point so really it was a city of contradiction it was hard it was dangerous it was fun it was exciting and it was also a city that was about to be in the grips of an infamous serial killer wow Ugh. i've got tingles all over that's wild I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. And I mean, I was alive during much of that. But of course, I'm just a little girl in Missouri, not exposed to that. But that is crazy. I had no idea it was that. I had no idea it was that grim. Yeah, I mean, 250 felonies a week on the the metro, tripling your murder rate in five years. No, that's nuts. It was dark. That's so fascinating, and I think definitely is a good setup for what we will talk about next. Sets the stage for the mindset at that time, which it's so hard after the fact to put your mind in a certain place, but I think that really captures it. Just grim, grim, grim. Yeah. But also alive. It Truly, I mean, contradiction after contradiction. It, well, what is it? Is it Dickens? The best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah. Completely. I mean, that's New York City in the 70s. Wow. Ugh. I can't wait to continue this story. And with that, listeners, uh, this was our bite-sized introduction. We're going to continue next week as Kirsten continues to feel better and better. And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. Au revoir. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 